This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. For years, college athletes have racked up Twitter and Instagram followers due to their on-the-field fame. But despite these large followings, a quarterback known for slinging touchdowns was prohibited from slinging endorsements, thanks to a system that prohibited athletes from profiting off their image or performance. But in the summer of 2021, that changed. And with college athletes now able to profit off their name, image, and likeness, it's left companies such as Captivate, an influencer marketing platform, ready to hit the ground running with a new pool of talent. Scale for creators or athletes within specific verticals, it's pretty tough, right? Because it's hard to snap your fingers and get 100 college athletes activated in minutes. Platforms like Captivate have made it easier to do that in the digital creator space with creators that have been around for a while. So you can go through specific verticals. But I feel like college athletes, it's a greenfield right now. Krishna Subramanian is the co-founder of Captivate. And on this episode of Marketing Trends, Krishna goes deep in the weeds of influencer marketing and how these new opportunities with college athletes can help brands. Plus, Krishna provides some do's and don'ts for brands that are looking to partner with influencers. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey marketers, today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever. And every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy. And you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account, speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every dash buyer. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by a special guest. Krishna, how are you? I'm doing amazing. Happy Friday. <laughs> Happy Friday, dude. Um, super excited to have you on the show, talking about Captivate uh, and, and all the cool stuff that you all are doing. In your background, not necessarily as a pure marketer, but a hybrid, a serial entrepreneur and a marketer, how'd you get started in marketing in the first place? Sure. Um, so I, I, I went to undergrad at UC Davis. Uh, I've got a bachelor's in medical microbiology, was on my way to medical school and uh, decided to take a, a year off. I was just getting burnt out, moved out to New York. I was doing research at the New York Academy of Medicine during the day. Um, I was staying in my uncle and aunt's basement in Queens. And so in the evening and night, I'd come home and I was building websites and apps and just working on different projects to, to make money, to move out. Um, into Manhattan. Uh, one thing led to another and ended up meeting some folks uh, that were in the advertising space, moved back to the Bay Area and um, helped start up Blue Lithium, which was an online ad network. So you co-founded Captivate. Tell us a little bit about the company. Sure. Yeah. So Captivate is, um, is an influencer marketing platform. You know, Essentially how we started about five years ago, just really got interested in how millennials were, you know, changing the way they consume content, spending a lot less time in front of the TV and more time in front of platforms like Instagram, Snap, YouTube, etc. And essentially, as they started changing the way they consume content, a lot of brands changed the way they engage with millennials because they realized the millennials not going to click on a banner ad and buy something, but they're highly influenced by these digital celebrities. 
So my background started off originally at Blue Lithium, online ad network that was acquired by Yahoo, then MobClicks, which was a mobile ad exchange that was acquired by Velti. Uh, but it's always around analytics and data. So when we got into the social space about six years ago, the, the idea was, well, how can we help brands identify their Oprah effects? How can we predict virality and measure the velocity of content being shared, Instagram specifically, and, and you know, sort of just double down on Instagram. And that was prior to Instagram even having an API for, for marketers to tap into. Very quickly, a lot of the brands that were using our platform started to reach out and ask us to help them activate influencers. And uh, that's when we built out our end-to-end platform that really helps brands identify influencers, activate them, and then uh, measure all the attribution from that content. I love influencer marketing. It's one of my favorites. We've talked about a bunch on the show. Uh, so I'm excited to dive super deep into that. Like, Where are we at? What inning are we at in, in influencer marketing? I think we're we're you know we're still in the early days of influencer marketing, um, and I think over the last eighteen months, you know, through COVID and through the pandemic, I think it's been really exciting to see brands really lean into influencers and creators. Um, you know, they they leaned into them to tell those authentic stories of their brands. Um, consumers were looking to to people that they trust, whether they're their friends or you know creators that they have an emotional connection to. And those creators became really important storytellers for the brand. You know, we started to, to see the growth that we've seen over the last 18 months is unlike anything that we've seen in the past. And it feels like the early days of mobile where everyone, you know, everyone wants to work with creators and influencers, you know, and I'd say the reason why I think it's still very much at the, the early days is because influencer marketing today is, is still predominantly really focusing, focused on branding and awareness. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to to go further down the funnel as as things as as the market gets more mature. Yeah, I totally agree. It's so brand level, but but with so many different platforms and so many different apps that people are using, and those apps, generally speaking, want to make money the way that they want to make money, not the way that the uh, people on the platform do. I mean, classic example is you know YouTube creators over the years that. You know, if you go talk to 10 YouTube creators, I don't think that they love uh, YouTube very much, despite you know, all of the things that have happened to them on YouTube. So it, it's, there seems to be some amount that's at odds with the platform and the platform wanting you to use them versus you know, the, uh, the actual creator uh, and how they can monetize in, in other ways. Is, is that fair? Yeah, I, I think um, I think it, I think it is fair. I think you know creators care about two things. They care about growing their audience and making money. And then when you look at the making money part, there's lots of different ways for them to make money. Some platforms make it really easy to turn on ads right, you know, from from day one, you know. And I think other platforms make it a lot harder to get sponsored content, and you have to go out and find your own deals. You know, some of them have tipping. So I, I think there's lots of different ways. And I think each platform is sort of leaned into slightly different strategies. I think YouTube being, you know, probably the first place that creators were were born. Right? It was you weren't an influencer or a creator. You were you were a YouTuber, and um, and I think they have created one of the you know the best uh, ecosystems for 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 creators being able to turn on Google Ads right off you know right off the bat. I think is pretty exciting. But you know, I think it is it is harder to get a lot of that branded content and custom content into longer form YouTube videos. Yeah, and I, I just use that as kind of like this this cautionary tale where you have 
one change to the algorithm, one change to the platform, one change to something. You know, we saw this with companies with like Facebook pages and and stuff like that. Companies spending millions and millions of dollars trying to build out their their Facebook page and then, you know, not seeing any of the organic kind of growth that they saw at the beginning because of, you know, Facebook wanting to monetize them reaching their own audience and stuff like that. And the reason why I say all that to set the stage for it seems like a solution like yours is really necessary for companies to be able to tap into creator networks, to tap into influencers, to do things in a more you know predictable, programmatic way than kind of the old way, which is just kind of, hey, I'm going to set up a bunch of partnerships and have a big partnerships team that does that, or maybe small partnerships team that does that, and do a lot of stuff that's driving brand awareness. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges is anytime you're building your brand, you know, whether you're a brand or you're a creator and you're building your audience on a specific social platform, you don't own that audience, right? Um, The platform does. And I think that's some of it's an opportunity and some of it's also a challenge for a brand, right? So, you know, I think if you go back five years ago, it's like, what is the value of, of a Facebook like? Like, does it really matter? And, you know, people are going out and buying likes, but I, but I think as you start to think about it and think about just growing, growing audiences, I think you start to look at what can you do beyond just that high level awareness? How can you create authentic, authentic relationships with creators over a longer period of time so that you start to drive real impact towards your brand? Okay. So what are some examples of ways that companies are doing this now? What are the best uh, best and brightest here doing uh, to leverage these type of strategies and obviously you know, using Captivate as, as part of that? I think generally from an influencer marketing standpoint, you know, brands are always looking to, you know, for, for that long-term relationship and marriage with a, a creator, neither side wants a one-night stand. And, and so I think when you think about it that way, um, it's, it's how do you find influencers and creators that are truly going to resonate with your brand. The way a lot of brands will tap into to captivate is, is sort of looking at it in, in three parts. One is just looking at the creators and the creator audiences. Um, what type of audience demo data does, do, does a creator have? How does that overlap with the same you know, personality archetype, brand affinity that, that I might have um, as a brand, the location of the creators, the age, gender, all of those metrics um, are sort of the first step of identifying, you know, if an influencer is going to make sense to to actually partner with. I think as you go through that step of just going through these in-depth creator profiles, you start to look at all the data and then start to activate these creators. Um, I think thinking about activation strategy is you can think about it in two ways. One is, you know, in phase one, let's say, you activate 25 creators, right? And you you go out there and you put together a specific creative concept or strategy for all of them. And you see how each individual creator performs um, on that first campaign. And you know, some might have have an audience that really resonates with your brand. Some, you know, the one, the creator that you thought might perform the best might be the worst, and vice versa. But what that allows you to do is do a quick test and then start to narrow that down where you can go ahead and then take the next you know, the next activation and narrow it down to, let's say the the five best performing creators and start turning them on, on an ongoing basis. So that perhaps they're posting monthly and, and just creating this really strong partnership with your brand. 
the things that we see performing really well are more of those always on types of campaigns where the creators are embedding that brand into their day-to-day life on an ongoing basis. Um, whether you're getting paid on a performance basis, you know, driving downloads to a game or just for certain amounts of awareness over the course of a month, um, it still creates that authenticity and your followers then start to believe that a lot more and start to, you know, follow along. Yeah. One of the, um, studies that I read, this is like years ago that, uh, Tim Ferriss pulled his audience where it was something like 98% of his listeners didn't care about having ads or something like that. And 80% of his listeners actually enjoyed his ads because they taught them about products and services that like Tim uses or is a fan of. And I'm like, man, that is, that's what you want to hear as a marketer, right? You're like, let's activate that guy. And obviously that's why his, the ad units on his show were like crazy expensive. Um, but if you look at the, some of the best, uh, and taking podcasts as an example, some of the best podcasts that have massive followings, the marketing that they're doing is so like long-term and deep and embedded in addition to obviously the thing that they're doing that's just, you know, the host red ads. Um, but they're doing partnerships that last for years. And like, that is, that's a great spot to be if you're that type of type of a company. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, there's a, um, there's a fitness uh, creator that I, that I follow on Instagram, uh, Devin Levesque, you know, he partners with probably about 10 different brands, but you see those brands every day. It's like Gymshark, Core Water, Whoop, you know, whatever it might be. And, and, you know, if I, if I look at that and I'm like, you know, his intensity is at another level. And I feel like I need to be wearing these shoes or wearing the, these pair of shorts, or, you know, I need the Whoop to be able to compete. It doesn't feel like he's selling anything. It feels like that's the secret sauce that he uses to, to stay in shape or whatever it might be. And I think that's what drives a lot of the people to just go out there and follow him, right? They want to see what it is. They want to know, even if he's not out there saying, buy this, buy this. You know, it's funny when we, um, one of our, one of our shows that, that I hosted for a long time, we would get a bunch of stuff sent to us from, you know, all sorts of different folks that, you know, wanted us to to try different products and things like that. And it's so funny as like the creator you're trying all these different products and it's really obviously fortunate and cool, but you really start to have an affinity to certain companies. You know, take for example, we did a partnership with Fully Desks a number of years ago on a different podcast. I have two Fully Desks in my house now. Uh, like I bought one for my wife. They're like amazing. Every single person is like, oh, what desk do you have? But it's like those sort of things where it's like, it actually is like my favorite desk, right? And it all started because we did uh, an ongoing promotion with them that turned into, you know, them outfitting our office and and doing all this this stuff. And like it was so impactful for us as a business, but also impactful for for them in in driving uh, driving results. And like if you can be that marketing team that is uh, that is doing that for creators, like they will go to bat for you forever. Because not only are they going to keep using your product and getting their their creator network to use your product or believe in it, they'll also defend you, right? Um, when, yeah. When um, and, and that's the strongest thing you need, right? It's not even the creator defending the brand, but the creator's following defending the brand, right? And I think yeah. that's, that's how loyal fans are and followers are. And, and that's like the, the ultimate, you know, sort of win for a brand when people within the comments are defending the brand or talking about how much they love it. 
That's a great point. Is that are you measuring that? Is that a, is that a metric? Uh, we brand defense. Uh, yeah, is that a, a captivate metric? Uh, well, we measure two things around that. So we look at comments. We look at brand lift, and we look at purchase intent. And and so the the idea is before a creator posts about a specific brand, how is that is that audience of that creator actually talking about the brand, and how is it changing once the creator starts endorsing a specific brand? Is it changing in a positive way or a negative way? What is that percentage lift? And then two, it's looking at more of those bottom of the funnel metrics. Are you driving someone into a store? Are you are you are people talking about purchasing that product? Um, and so there's a, definitely a lot of those metrics. I think that's where the the market is going. That's where the space is going. And that's what brands really care about. Yeah, they do. And you kind of gave us a little overview there, but I think brand lift and purchase intent being new types of metrics back in the day, not even back in the day, we still use impressions as our primary metric. We use obviously all of our CPA type, um, you know, conversion metrics, but things like affinity are just, have been so tough to track over time. Like how, how is that changing? How are these metrics changing? Yeah. I, I mean, I think the metrics, um, well, first off, right. It's, you know, five years ago, people really cared about just likes, right? How many likes did, did we get on our sponsored yeah. post? And, and now it's like, so what, right? You know, great. We got all these likes. What did it do for us? And, you know, where you're starting to see that even more is on TikTok, right? You do these hashtag challenges and you're getting billions of views. Nowhere else on any other platform can you get billions of views on a piece of content, right? Content just doesn't go as viral as it does on TikTok anywhere else. But what does that mean, right? You know, if you're a CPG brand, is that, is everyone going out and running and buying your product? Or are those views all coming from US subscribers, right? Um, or a US audience? You know, I think as you start to look at, you know, a deeper set of metrics, um, it's in two ways, right? You can look at brands that are just looking for, you know, let's say awareness. Some of the things they really care about are, are going to be, let's say, sentiment of the comments, right? Are, are people that are seeing this creator's content, are they happy about it? Are they excited about the brand uh, versus just being excited about the creator, right? So is it as opposed to, you know, like I love Ian, is it like I love the Nike shoes that Ian's wearing, right, for example? And then starting to, you know, take sentiment into brand lift and, and just seeing, you know, how much impact is that having? You know, how much impact is it driving to the bottom line? Are people actually going to go out and purchase this? Um, I think it becomes a lot easier as you start to look at more direct response sorts of metrics, right? So if you're looking at specific sales and conversions or installs or signups, because those are hard metrics you could track back to specific creators and specific URLs. And so the whole attribution funnel is, is very easy to look at. So that's why you're seeing a lot of brands that are built on top of Shopify, for example, that you know, they heavily lean into creators because they can you know, map that entire thing from end to end. I mean, back in the day, using television, newspaper, yellow pages, like all these things, right? That was kind of just hope and pray, right? You know, hey, this is the circulation. This is the reach. This is all that stuff. And all that stuff worked, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we didn't know how well it was working. We didn't know that sort of stuff. But now, when you're talking about these TikTok piece, like part of advertising is about waste. It's about how many, how much money are we going to spend to reach, you know, the maximum amount of people that are, you know, going to be able to take action. But knowing that 
if you don't cast a wide enough net, if you don't spend the, enough money, you're not going to maximize your potential, um, you know, catch for lack of a better word. So how do you think about waste with regards to influencer marketing? Uh, it's a great question. And I don't think enough brands think about it that way, right? Because a lot of times brands are looking at a specific audience and saying, we need to hit these 10 demos across the entire US. What percentage of this person's audience sits in those 10 demos? And you're very rarely going to get a high number in, a, in specific zip codes or specific DMAs because just by the nature of these creators, they're you know, fairly global. They'll have an international presence as well as um, you know, US. One of the biggest pieces I think that's really important is, is looking at international versus, versus US, right? And if you are a US-focused brand, at least measuring it at that level, um, knowing that there's a, a large enough percentage of that audience that sits in that, that specific country, you're hitting the right, let's say, gender um, and age. I think those are, those are other sort of high-level metrics you can look at. Um, once, you, once you sort of go beyond that, Right. Part of what you need to do is make sure the content is actually going to resonate with the audience that you're looking to hit. Just because, you know, let's say 70% of someone's audience is male and in New York um, doesn't mean that's going to be the most engaged audience. Right. Um, you need to make sure the content is also hitting that. And the social platforms, when you're posting native influencer content, they actually don't tell you what percentage of, you know, your likes and comments came from your target demo, right? A, a lot of it is based on estimated metrics, um, you know, outside of the, the social platforms themselves. You know, you have folks like Dr. Pepper and Amazon and Honda and, and all sorts of cool companies um, that are selling a variety of different types of products and specifically trying to pair those with their kind of influencer archetypes or things like that. How much does like the type of influencer matter you know, to these different types of companies? It's actually really important. Um, and, you know, I think it's really important when you're looking at the brands that are driving branding and awareness, right? Because they've got specific brand and style guidelines that they're looking to hit. And that's what they care about, right? Like they are coming at it almost from a creative agency standpoint saying, here's what our brand needs to look like. Here's who we want to represent it. And so we want to understand who these creators are, what they think, what they believe in, and, and just almost predict how well these creators are going to perform in the future or what they're going to react to um, in the future. That's you know from a branding and awareness standpoint. I think when you go to DR advertisers, they actually don't care as much, right? They just care about, are these creators driving sales? Great, they are. Let's pay them more, right? And let's keep going down that route. So I think you, you start out at that point. And then I think something else that you take into account is how much creative control does a brand really want, right? So if a brand wants a significant amount of creative control, don't go partner with the top creators or the top you know, in, in digital creators. Partner with a, a tier two or tier three creator who will be more open to allowing you to manage that end-to-end -end process and drive the creative strategy. If you're partnering with a tier one digital creator, the whole reason you're partnering with them is because they produce amazing content and they know how you know, and that's why you're going to them, right? They know what sort of resonates with their audience. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes brands will make is, you know, partnering with the tier one creator and then telling that creator exactly how they want them to produce content, what it needs to look like, what they need to say. 
and it just takes the entire authenticity away. And then, you know, everyone wonders why that content didn't perform well. Yeah, that's an absolutely fascinating kind of insight. And it's so obvious the way that you said it, but I hadn't really thought about that, that you have certain like large scale brands that are almost more concerned about their image than the results of the campaign. And then you have certain people who are more concerned about the results of the campaign than like who is who is even peddling. I mean, it's so it's so fascinating because it speaks to like this totally new type of ad inventory that is so dynamic. Dynamic is already a word in the ecosystem, but it's something so different. Like influencer marketing is just so ridiculously complex. I agree that's like the early days on this stuff, but it's so much more difficult to figure out from a company perspective than any other type of marketing like ever in history, because there's just so much more, there's so many more things that can happen. You're, you're like you said, you need to predict whether or not there's a probability that your influencer gets canceled, you know, in the next six months, right? If you're the type of brand that cares about that, or if you're not, maybe you want that to happen so that their, you know, catalog gets more exposure or something. I mean, it's just so it's so personality driven and complex that it adds a level for for marketers that I'd imagine is obviously why they choose a platform like yours to support, but um, that it's just very difficult to wade through. Oh, it, it's extremely tough, right? And um, and I think it's it's because you you're partnering with creators for the exact reason that you're worried about partnering with them as well, right? So you want their creativity and excitement, you know, you want the potential to go quote unquote viral, but because of all of those things, you also don't know, you know, there's a lot of unpredictability. How is their audience going to react, right? You, you mentioned canceling. Canceling's almost become cool in some aspects, right? Or people are just going out and constantly trying to cancel a specific creator. You know, you've got that, right? Where creators, you know, the fans that follow these creators will go out and just find reasons to hate them, message the brand and say, oh, did you know that this creator's brother's wife's mom said something racist on Twitter. Here's a screenshot of it. I can't believe you partnered with this person and then run it up the chain to the CMO of a brand. The CMO of a brand will come to you and say, how could you not know this? How did you not look at this? And like, how would, how could this possibly happen? Right. Um, You know, things like that happen, you know, every, every so often, or, you know, um, I think a couple of years ago, uh, there's a YouTuber, you know, married and she has uh, a few kids. She adopted a kid, but during the course of a partnership with a few brands, she gave one kid up. Um, The kid that she adopted decided she couldn't take care of the kid anymore and gave it up. She got so much negative press for it. And then all the brands that she was working with started to show up in the same articles saying, you know, this creator partners with X, Y, and Z. Then those brands get really upset saying, how did you not know this is going to happen? And so that unpredictability is, you know, it's something that, you can, you can only predict, you know, to a certain extent. And, you know, I think um, a lot of these creators understand, right, their largest revenue stream is coming from branded content. And so they typically are, are making sure their brand's safe themselves. But there's always that 1% chance that something crazy could happen and you just have to be able to react to it in, in the right way. That's a horrible situation. That's really terrible. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, and it's it's like, it speaks to, I mean, I think there's, these are people's lives, right? Like they're not professional media people, for lack of a better word. They're not, you know, necessarily trained in any of this. This is literally their lives, you know, on display. And it's pretty easy for, you know, 
multitudes of people to jump on, you know, the decision making of other people. And it's crazy that it even like comes back to marketing teams that are buying those ads. But uh, it is it is the state of, of where we are today for better or for worse. And there's a lot of companies that, you know, that, that don't want to deal with that. You know, the other side of this is there's a lot of companies that feel very, you know, uncool, that feel very far from creative, that they can't possibly do the things that, you know, they want to do with their brand voice or things like that. And they look at these influencers as a way to not just extend reach. It's not just like ads to them. Um, they want that brand affinity with with the creator. Can you talk about like why affinity is something that like matters or or, or does it matter? Or is this something, you know, we talked about a little bit with people getting defended in, in the comments, but um, it's something that like, again, this is, you know, maybe maybe you'd have that with certain advertising on different TV shows in the past, but it's not something that necessarily you could do at scale. Yeah, I think brand affinity is is really important. And I think it comes into one is, you know, does the brand share common values with the creator? And and I can't tell you over the last 18 months, that's become one of the most important things when a creator is saying, well, what are the brand's values? You know, are they the same values that I have? You know, how do they look at diversity and inclusion? And, you know, so it's not just a brand picking a creator, it's also a creator picking a brand. And, and I think these shared values really help build a relationship, um, you know, which tends to keep people more loyal together, right? Whether it's the, the creator realizing, you know, this is a brand that I actually believe in and I can associate myself with, you know, and it's, it's, it's a brand that I could love and get to know um, versus just saying, cool, send me the product. Let me post about it. And, you know, let's move on. And, and that's the worst thing that a, a brand could really do or a creator could do is just doing a series of these one-off posts that are that just end up failing. And, um, and then it just puts a, a bad taste in everyone's mouth in the chain, right? Because the brand looks at influencer marketing and says, oh, well, you know, that didn't work out so well. The creator is like, oh, I just got, you know, one-off post. It wasn't great. And then the creator's audience is like, and this creator just keeps posting about random brands that, that I never see again. Let's talk about name, image, and likeness. Uh, can you share what, what this is and if for our listeners who don't know? Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I think one of the super exciting things is, you know, college athletics have really struggled to figure out how to implement a fair and balanced set of rules for student athletes to monetize their name, image, and likeness. The question is, is just how much money could that generate and should college athletes be allowed to, to make, you know, make profit off of that. I mean, that's, that's essentially what it is. And, and I think when we look at a lot of the, a lot of the, the recent um, sort of laws that have been passed, it's, it's been super exciting because, you know, starting July 1st, you know, college, um, college sports and athletes uh, will allow their athletes to receive, you know, compensation and be paid uh, while they're competing for their schools. Um, and, you know, that's something that, was never done before. Yeah, I mean, it's like, and I know, I think they just kind of are in the middle of this like landmark case that's having to do with all of the college sports stuff. You know, from a, from a human rights perspective, uh, it's people should be able to monetize themselves um, because that's American capitalism. But um, from the marketing standpoint, it really is an exciting development that these young 
athletes that are, you know, on the national stage for sure, world stage in a lot of in a lot of cases, can figure out how to make a living, have a, a lasting impact in their in their life from this sort of thing is like so cool. I mean, you can just the the possibilities are endless. Do you see this as any difference from like other types of influencers? I mean, I know it's like a subsect of that, but is it um is there anything that like you know, companies should be looking at as they look to partner with these athletes, you know, starting uh, uh, here uh, this year? Yeah. I mean, I think you, you start to look at the, look at these college athletes the, the same way you look at creators and you use all the same metrics um, in terms of just understanding what, you know, what their audience looks like and what they stand for and what they're getting behind. I think it's also realizing that this is super early in their, their creative careers as well. Right. So, you know, just being, a, a freshman or sophomore in college, you're literally starting your life on on social. You're going to start a lot earlier. There, there's so many pro athletes that have one post on Instagram when they're on NFL draft day. Now it's going to yep. completely change because the minute they, you know, they're in high school, they're going to realize, hey, I have to be on social because this is a way for me to make money, even if I don't make it into professional leagues. And the other thing that's kind of exciting about it is maybe there's less pressure to turn pro right off the bat, right? And maybe it's, if you're making money throughout your college career, perhaps you, you finish it up um, and you stay for four years. But, but I think it's, you know, from a brand perspective, it's the, the same thing, just realizing that, you know, it's even earlier than just influencer marketing and, and digital, digital creators. It's college athletes that are still learning about everything. Um, understanding that, you know, college athletes, just like, any other college student, you know, there might be ups and downs that happen and you just have to be ready to ready to react if something does happen. How much do you think of this is a access to inventory an ease to buy situation? Because like, let's just take Gatorade, for example, if Gatorade wanted to buy, they wanted to be a sponsor for the top basically every five-star athlete, let's just say, or maybe like every five-star quarterback or something like that, that's going, that's a rising freshman in, in college football. And they could do that, like, you know, snap their fingers. And they wanted to sponsor every fantasy football podcast and, you know, a bunch of the like meme accounts that are, you know, focused on college football quarterbacks or something like that. If you could do that with a snap of your fingers in a, in a really easy way, it seems like that would happen a lot more. Is that where we're headed or where, where are we headed? Yeah. I, I think you bring up a great point, like scale for if scale for creators um, or athletes within specific verticals. It's pretty tough, right? Because it's hard to snap your fingers and get, you know, a hundred college athletes activated in, in minutes, right? Um, platforms like Captivate have made it easier to do that in the digital creator space you know, with creators that have been around for a while. So you can go through specific verticals, but I feel like college athletes, it's a, it's a, it's a green field right now. Um, and I think there's so much opportunity, you know, whether it's a Gatorade or, you know, shoe brand, whatever it might be, you could go out and sponsor entire college teams, right. As opposed to just the, you know, just certain players. And, and I think yeah. that could get you scale pretty quickly as well. Um, Cause Gosh. As, yeah. You could go sponsor every single athlete at Michigan, and you don't need to actually ever talk to Michigan. 
Exactly. That is freaking great. That's really cool, man. I'm, I'm so excited for, uh, for the player empowerment, um, (laughs) that's going to come with this. This is just like, it's so freaking awesome. Um, so continue that. I mean, it seems like there's going to be a tipping point here where it's like, this stuff happens. I know you can't see into the future, but what is preventing more companies from using services like yours? What is preventing this kind of like next wave from happening? So I think it, think about it in two ways, right? I, I think brands are either going to, let's say, a creative agency and, and asking a creative agency to put together a campaign, think about the strategy and what the creative concept should look like and, and sort of executing it that way. Um, I think there's lots of brands and ad agencies that come to Captivate and say they can, they can work with us in two ways. And I think that's actually unique on its own is you might have your own internal team, um, your, your brand team that actually knows exactly what they want to do. They just want a platform and software to make it easy to bring scale to finding influencers, activating them, and then measuring it. And they just want to do it all in-house. You can do that self-serve from our platform. But the benefit of working with Captivate is, let's say your budgets outgrow your marketing team and you need to lean on another team to help execute on campaigns. You know, our, our team has a services, Captivate has a services team that just becomes an extension of your marketing arm. So we'll go out and we'll execute on behalf of you as well. That's the, the benefit for, for brands and agencies when, when they're working with Captivate. I think as long as a brand understands social, then, you know, they understand where, where and how to use influencers. And I think it's just what stage of that life cycle are they in? Are they still doing tests and just trying to figure out what is influencer marketing? Um, you know, in those cases, they might be reaching out to, to influencers directly or reaching out to talent agencies, worried less about data and just more about, you know, the content that's coming out of it. But if you are a brand that's really looking to run campaigns on an always-on basis, um, you're looking for data-driven decision-making processes, then you really need a platform like Captivate. What about LinkedIn? Where, where does this fit? At, you know, we have a lot of B2B listeners. Um, B2B is very tricky. What do you think about um, influencer with regards to, to LinkedIn? Or just influencers, B2B influencers in general? Um, so I think B2B influencers are, it's a growing space, right? Whether it's, you know, we've got um, a medical devices company that has, has recently launched a campaign and they've been partnering with physicians across the country. These physicians have a much smaller audience, specifically tied to, let's say, Twitter or LinkedIn. And so, you know, 5,000 followers on Twitter for a data scientist or a physician is highly valuable because that their, their audience is probably primarily, you know, other physicians. And, and so it's a growing space, but it's super effective. I think there's lots of opportunity, um, especially on LinkedIn, just given the, the virality of content on there as well. Yeah, I think it's super underserved. Um, I like to say that, you know, if you have a podcast that reaches 50 people in the world, everybody might think it's useless unless those are 50 Fortune 500 CEOs and then you have the most valuable podcast in the world. And I think that that's, you know, it's one of those things where so much of marketing, you know, of the marketing world thinks in big numbers and massive campaigns and big impressions when you're thinking about B2B and in, or B2C. But when you're thinking B2B, you're talking in, Literally, like these seven people that work at this company are the people that I want to get in front of this month. 
how do I get in front of these seven people over and over and over and over and over again? And uh, it just changes, it changes the math, it changes the strategy. And, uh, and I think influencers something, I mean, I talk to B2B companies all day. I mean, I don't know, I essentially talk to none that use influencer. Yeah. I think it's, it's going to continue to be like a, a growing segment of, of influencer marketing. And, and I think part of that is going to be the platforms themselves embracing that audience. You know, I'd say TikTok is pretty interesting because you see so many physicians and dermatologists and, you know, um, yep. creating content, you know, they're creating content to, to generate awareness. But I, I think platforms like Twitter and LinkedIn are, are great for, you know, that, the B2B audience. So any thoughts on, on, on Clubhouse and Twitter spaces and some of these, um, you know, social audio or whatever we, we want to call this new kind of category? Yeah. So, um, you know, when, when Clubhouse first uh, launched, it was probably spending a, a few hours on it every day. Of course, there was nothing else to do. You know, couldn't leave your house. So it was easy to, yeah. to sit on there and, you know, grow an audience. And, you know, I think there's always that first mover advantage of growing your audience on a platform that just launches. And so there's, there's a lot of excitement there. I also thought it was, it was really refreshing to be able to have intelligent conversations with people um, on a social platform versus creating video content on, on TikTok, right? It, it's the complete opposite. And, you know, I think from that perspective, it, it was great. You know, we've definitely met a lot of new people um, within, the, uh, within the industry itself. And so, you know, I'm definitely excited to see where it goes and how it goes. I think when you think about the B2B audience, that's a perfect place where it's, how do you create that B2B audience on Clubhouse, right? Because unless you're, if you're just hosting a room and you're a CMO, are you looking to just talk to a bunch of creators that are looking to be influencers and give them advice? Maybe, maybe once, maybe twice, but otherwise your value is probably better served in, in other, other areas. It's making sure you can get that right audience in front of you to keep you excited to keep coming back. And I think that's that's one of the areas of, of opportunity I think that exists on, on these platforms like that. What's next for, uh, for Captivate? So, uh, I, mean, I mean, it's been an amazing year for us um, this year. And I think, you know, our team is continuing to grow significantly. And, you know, I think when we look at influencer marketing, really focused on just performance-driven influencer marketing. So all the data layers that are going to help make finding influencers a lot more effectively, and then attributing content and, and measurement, you know, more effectively. So, you know, we, we recently had a partnership announcement that we made with LiveRamp, the first influence marketing company to partner with LiveRamp that allows a brand to find influencers based on their existing customers. So, you know, that's an example of the, the type of data that we're trying to plug in um, at the start of the influencer marketing funnel in terms of finding influencers. And then if you go to the other side, it's, it's just looking at different ways of looking at attribution. So, you know, we've integrated into a lot of the e-commerce um, sort of uh, platforms like Magento, Salesforce, Commerce Cloud, uh, Refersion, et cetera. Um, but we started moving upstream too and, you know, integrating the platforms like AppsFlyer and Kochava and, you know, things of that sort that really allow you to see the end-to-end nature of influencer marketing and drive attribution and results back to the content that was created. Um, so our, our goal is really, is, is really to help you as a brand seamlessly launch, promote, and you know, scale influencer programs that drive real business impact. Speaking of Salesforce, 
Um, let's get to our lightning round. Our lightning round, as always, is brought to you by our friends at Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. We love Salesforce. They've been with us for 300 plus episodes because they're the best. They're, they're the true, look at them, the true example of influencer marketing gone wonderfully right here, uh, them sponsoring our show. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Krishna, are you ready? Let's do it. You mentioned one of your favorite influencers. Um, do you have a second favorite influencer? Uh, the Korean vegan. Vegan Korean, sorry. Vegan Korean. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, what do they do? Uh, you've got to check it out. So she talks about uh, a lot of different um, topics in- impacting society. Um, but while she's doing that, she is like, let's say social justice, things of that sort. She's also cooking at the same time. And so it's just super passionate, uh, well-produced content. And it keeps you really engaged because you hear her voice while she's preparing a meal. Um, It's awesome. As someone who's built a career in uh, marketing and advertising, what's one campaign that you're jealous of? One one of the first influencer campaigns was around Sonic and, um, and, you know, they essentially activated 10 different influencers. It was driving people to, you know, Sonic's drive-through. But the way that they created that content on Instagram, um, the virality of it, just the authenticity of it uh, was, was just something that I was like, man, that is an amazing, you know, that is, that is an amazing piece of content that was created. What do you do for fun? Road bike, uh, like, to, like to work out. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, TV show, or something you've been checking out recently? Um, the All In Pod is pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> pretty wild. I just stopped listening. <laughs> it gets me too fired up. They're so crazy. Yeah. Your best advice for a first-time either CMO, co-founder, or CEO? I, I, think, I think when you look for a co-founder, one of the most important things to, to think about is, is just you know, aligning on values. And, and I think a lot of time you don't think about values when you are looking at a co-founder, you're just looking at their skill set. But ultimately, if you have the same values, you could get through any of the challenges and ups and downs that you might have over the course of the next year's building a company. And, uh, and you know, that's something that I would definitely encourage people to look at early on. Krishna, this has been absolutely awesome having you on the show. Thanks again for joining. For our listeners... Go check out Captive and then number 8.io, Captive8.io to learn more. Uh, Check out the marketplace. Check out the platform. Awesome company, as you heard. Uh, Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Uh, Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm super excited. You know, Captive, we're hiring across the board on, you know, sales and uh, partnerships and products. So definitely check us out. Awesome. Take care. Thank you. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience 
Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.